On this episode, there's one thing that I can do far better than they can do in Washington or New York City or Atlanta or Los Angeles is cover the news in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Vanderbilt University is home to the world's only extensive and complete archive of national television broadcasts, with clips dating back to the days of Apollo 8 to the unsettling remembrance of the coronavirus. The Emmy award-winning exhibit has been serving as a research safe haven for students, faculty, and news junkies. I ventured around campus and transported back in time, flipping through the history books to discover the news archive's influential purpose in better informing Vanderbilt students about historical events and the struggle for accessibility to accurate information in the third millennium. This is VU History. Good evening, everyone. I'm Jalen Sims, your host for the Vanderbilt Hustlers VU History Podcast. We begin tonight in the year 1968. It's a turning point for American culture. As the war on segregation starts to take a more violent turn with the riots in Washington, D.C., President London B. Johnson is preparing to fight with members of Congress to enact the Civil Rights Law of 1968. And while he is still doing that in political chambers till this day, he is also having to struggle with the escalation of the Vietnam War. For most Americans across the world who do not live in places where these historical events are taking place, the newly ended golden age of television in 1960 is making it more accessible to stay up to date on current events through live news broadcasts. Prominent journalists like CBS News' Walter Cronkite and Edward R. Murrow are essential to informing rural residents about the changes that their country is currently undergoing. As American politics are starting to shift post-Kennedy assassination, Little-known Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, has taken the initiative to develop an archived collection of decades' worth of national newscasts. But who created this extravagant project? According to an official historical account written by the creator Paul Simpson, a law graduate and insurance executive, Simpson intelled that he watched a news program where American psychologist Timothy Leary, who is an advocate for the usage of LSD, recommended that young Americans find themselves by freeing their mind and experimenting with the drug. The psychologist's comment shocked Simpson, and after watching the news program, Simpson wanted to watch it over to confirm if what he heard was true. Huh? It was then that when Simpson tried to find the recording of the news program, he ran into the problem of accessibility. No organization in the world was preserving news programs for future access. Well, we think when you look back on the history of the 60s in the United States, that it would be most important to have a permanent record of these television news programs because we think they will have had an effect on the course of events. Uh, as you know, newspapers, magazines, and books are available in most all of the libraries throughout the United States. We visualize that the time will come when each of those libraries will also have a television library. It is certainly a very important news media, and at the present time is the only news media that is not kept and is not made available for scholars and historians to study. Simpson would then go on to talk with current Vanderbilt Chancellor G. Alexander Hurd, who would then appoint an 80 Hawk committee to turn Simpson's dreams into reality. But it wasn't until August 5th of this year that the Television News Archive began recording broadcasts on rented equipment and tapes that Simpson and his friends had independently acquired. Fast forward back into the future, Jim Duran, a special collections officer and the current director of the Vanderbilt Television News Archive, says that even the networks were deleting their footage, going deeper into the initial history of the archive's functions. Uh, 
uh, back in 1968, which was a very tumultuous time in uh, U.S. history. The um, there were some folks here at Vanderbilt that were looking at uh, television news, and they recognized the importance it had on the uh, influence and power of American perception of of, Amer of both domestic and international events, and they were curious about who was recording or keeping record of these broadcasts of this TV news uh, to make it available for study. And they, they discovered that nobody was doing that, that the networks themselves were uh, deleting or reusing the recordings every two weeks. And so there was a project started to re start recording the news, which was just three channels back then. And they would record it and make it available for researchers. When news stations would delete their footage, it left many journalists hopeless at creating archived reports where they would be able to provide a wide range of opinions from different periods. However, when the archive came along, journalists like Scott Couch, who has been in the journalism industry for over 20 years, sought the help of the archive's extensive catalog to go back into the ages, searching for the clip that'll complete his next informational masterpiece. I've been aware of the Vanderbilt archive uh, ever since I was uh, your age, uh, you know, I mean, so, you know, 30 plus years, I've been uh, aware of what it does. And uh, quite frankly, the stations uh, in the marketplace used to shoot things on film and uh, we don't have that anymore. Uh, the film was thrown away in many cases when the transition was made, but you know where those, uh, those things still exist, the Vanderbilt archives. And it's interesting, I've, I've been involved in uh, projects where I've reached out to the archives before to get um, video, if you would, which at the time was film that my station produced, you know, decades before, but we no longer had copies of it. But who did? Vanderbilt's archives. So we can go back into the historical archives and, and listen and hear how the people at the time in this locality felt about a particular issue, whether it was assassination of a president, uh, a civil rights movement uh, in which Nashville played a critical role, and so many key figures throughout history uh, who spent time in Nashville, and to have an archive that you can go back to and use as a resource like that if you're writing a book, uh, making a film, uh, things of that nature that would really allow you to tap into the feelings of the people in this locality at that point in time. I think it's really important, and I think it's very impressive that Vanderbilt still does that. I applaud them for the commitment. Originally meant to be a 90-day test run, the archive currently holds over 40,000 hours of video, where it records ABC, CBS, CNN, and NBC broadcasts. The archive also records a daily one-hour Fox News program and a weeknight broadcast of Nightline by NBC. The archive is also famously known for recording live presidential speeches, press conferences, and election night coverage. But you may be wondering, how in the world does the university manage to get the signal and space to record so many hours of television broadcasts? Well, and like uh, for many years, it was a, a, an antenna on the top of the library building. Uh, they would uh, just get the TV signal from the over the air and then have those tape recorders hooked up to televisions to record what was being broadcast over TV. Since we now have digital signals, uh, cable signals, and so we're, but we're still recording the broadcast as it was sent across, or as, as it was broadcast on TV here in Nashville. So the collection includes local commercials, but 
for that 5.30 p.m. Uh, uh, block, 5.30 to 6 o'clock uh, block. And if there's any weather uh, bulletins or if there's a tornado in Nashville, that is going to be reflected in our collection. And like today, they weren't just recorded on CDs or a computer drive. They were recorded and switched out using tapes because CDs didn't come out until 14 years later. Broadcasts prior to May 1979 were recorded in black and white on an Ampex 1-inch Type A videotape recorder. Beginning in May 1979, news programs were recorded in color on 3.5-inch U-Matic cassettes. In several incidents, malfunctions of either the television set or the Apex recorder caused the tape to have serious video or audio problems. In some cases, no recording could be made, explaining some of the gaps in the 1960s and 1970s. Some of the oldest tapes in the collection, mainly between the times of 1968 and probably 1973, suffered varying degrees of loss of picture quality due to the natural distortion of the archive's digitalization in the 2000s. The National Endowment for Humanities saw the potential that the archive could have on future generations and graciously funded the university the money to digitalize all previously recorded tapes and transform the archive into a website where users could scroll through and rent out news stories. Yeah, it was quite an amazing accomplishment, uh, and it happened about 20, 20 years ago. Uh, the National Endowment for Humanities funded a massive project to convert all of these tapes, which there was over 60, uh, well, yeah, 60,000 episodes of news on uh, roughly 40,000 uh, 40, tapes. You can get multiple shows on a tape. And it took five years, and but uh, the all the files were transferred from a digital for, from a physical format to a digital format, and um, and so about 20 years ago, it was made into a, a streaming website. The university didn't quite realize it yet, but the digitalization of the television news archive would not only bring the university satisfaction in supplying archive reports to customers, but it would also bring in awards and new titles. In January of 1994, the Archive was given a special award by the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences during its 25th anniversary. Not even 20 years later, the Archive was awarded the Governor's Award for Lifetime Achievement, yet again by the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, which is the regional academy's highest honor, and received an Emmy statue that is still on display when visiting the library exhibit of the Archive. We were awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award from the... Um... Uh, an, a local Emmy in the uh, about uh, ten years ago, and it's been it's it's nationally recognized as the source for news archive or for content of uh, news archive content. Um, there uh, there are there are some other news archives out there today. The Internet Archive in San Francisco has an extensive TV news archive going back to two thousand nine, but uh, we're the only archive that goes back to the sixties. And uh, we're, we're commonly known as the place to go to check for this kind of content. Students studying at the now prestigious Vanderbilt University can access this information for free through the library showcase. But to obtain the copyrighted footage, you'll have to follow a lengthy loaner process that contains some special perks due to your affiliation with Vanderbilt. Because this content is copyright protected uh, or it is owned by the news network themselves. So we operate as a library that lends limited access to the content. Now we provide more access to the Vanderbilt community because it's for personal research use. It's for the it's 
it's it's intended to be used for personal research use only. For the a, a general consumer, they will get limited access through uh, uh, one clip at a time that they they uh, they'll have to pay a, a loan processing fee, and then they get access to that clip for 30 days uh, through an electronic link, and then it, that link expires after 30 days. And there's uh, lots of warnings in between that say this is this link is only intended to be used for personal use only. Students now being able to access the footage for personal research purposes not only allows them to connect with their research topic in a historical context, but as award-winning WRKN anchor Bob Mueller and Vanderbilt professor Jad Abumrad explain, the archive also exposes how broadcast journalism has shifted through the news story's structural changes. Biggest change for for, for uh, any kind of news operation was when news became profitable. It, it just changed the whole dynamic. Uh, you know, when, when news was, a, was the lost leader and the companies were doing it just to get a good news product out there, it was different. But that changed it, but everybody adjusted. The other real big change happened, though, when cable news was developed in the 1980s. It, it spread the audience. It uh, diluted the audience a little bit. You know, for a long, long time, well, for, for, since the beginning of TV, it was all just the local stations. It was just us, 4, 5, and 17, and Channel 9, or Channel 8, rather. That was it. But then once you got all those cable channels, suddenly people had choices, and you had to work harder to keep those viewers. And it continues to change, and even now we're doing this on a phone, and, and there's so many outlets for people to get news that television news is just, just a sliver of what it used to be. It's still important. I think it still has to connect uh, with with the audience. It's harder to attract an audience. Folks like yourself probably don't watch me as much as your parents may watch me. You get your news from the phone and from websites and from from uh, you know Facebook and Twitter and those kinds of things. You may jump onto us, but we're not appointment TV anymore. So that's really the biggest change that's happened in, in my career. That in, in technology, I started in film, went to videotape, then smaller videotape and then CDs, and then, you know, everything went HD, and then the Apple phone came, and I can do my whole job on a phone now, where it used to have to have editors or film projectors and those kinds of things. It's changed dramatically how more people can do this, uh, and the quality is just as good, if not better. The cameras on these iPhones are terrific. The editing systems are easy to operate, and there's so many outlets for creativity. I think that's that's the real I think the real plus to where we are today, there's so many places that you don't have to just be on TV. There's so many places to get content. Content is king. If you have good content, you'll find somewhere to put it. I think you see so many differences. You see differences in how and the impact that journalism can have. You know, you see diff like there used to be a real strong sense that we can move the needle as journalists. We can create a conversation in the country that can help divert a war, let's say, right? I don't know that any journalist has that sort of grandiose idea anymore. Like, I think it's journalism, journalism's impact has waned over time. Um, but at the same time, you see people talking differently, like back in the Murrow days, you should talk like this in a very staccato, all-knowing sort of way. And then now journalism, the way you talk has gotten much more like, I'm talking now, much more like conversational and, and, and like, we're just hanging out. Uh, and so the way that you talk has changed. Um, the kinds of stories that get on the air have changed. Um, who's doing the talking has changed. 
used to be it was mostly only white men, but now you have a tiny bit, not enough, but a tiny bit more diversity in, uh, in who's in the anchor chairs. You can see all of that if you just needle drop through time. Duran agrees, saying that not all journalism organizations were created equally. It has changed quite a bit, and you can see that change in uh, in the archive. A, a researcher can actually just go from go all the way back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to today and see the, the changes in journalism. One thing I want to just highlight is that uh, there not all journalists, uh, journalism and, and media platforms are created equally. And I think that one thing you can see in the television news archive is, and from my, my opinion, is that this uh, news media is actually a more um, accurate and balanced form of information, especially a, the uh, ABC, NBC, and, and uh, CBS evening news stories. They're 30 minutes, they're short. There isn't a lot of content there, but I think that you, especially you can look at, uh, I think even CBS has been putting out quite a bit about how they are trying to be a fair source of information um, out there. So I think you, what you could actually I argue is that those three specifically um, haven't changed that much over the years. They have changed, uh, you know, back, if you look at stories from the 70s, those were much more international. There's a lot more focus on international affairs, um, and they've dropped a lot of that. With the rise of cable news, the uh, the mainstream me uh, news sources dropped a lot of the international, which I think is a uh, is too bad. Um, they're they're focusing more on domestic issues, uh, which there are lots of domestic issues as well. But um, that that would be just one example of of the way that things have changed. And with the shifting of broadcast journalism organizations not only birth more politically biased news programs and less impactful news, but I'm pretty sure the competitiveness of each news organization has resulted in the spreading and ignition of misinformation, where the least trusted form of media to get your information from is social media. According to a study done by Tech Jury, 80% of U.S. adults have consumed fake news with only 10% of Americans admitting to sharing fake news on social media platforms. But how has it controlled us as a society? As a society, I think where it's polarized us, and it's really too bad because, you know, there's nothing wrong with having diverging views. Uh, but you can respect the person and disagree with the person. Now we disagree with the person and don't respect him. And, and that, to me, I respect her. That, to me, is the big difference. There's nothing wrong with that. The great thing about this country is have the, the differing views and different cultures and different backgrounds. But we've gotten to this position, and I don't know what really got us here, of you're right, I'm wrong, and there's no in-between. Congress is that way. That's why nothing gets done. There's, there's negotiation and compromise are bad words. It's hurt what I do in the industry. Uh, you know, once there became politicized channels, People don't understand the difference as much. Then they think everybody's doing that. We don't do that in local news. People think we do, but we really don't. What, you know, what Fox News does, what MSNBC does, what CNN does in, in their commentary and in their, in their personal, uh, perf, uh, pro, uh, the performance aspect of it is different than what we do. We're straight newscasts. They're offering opinion. They're offering their views. And it all gets jumbled together. And then you add the internet where there's 
the wild, wild west. There's, there's no control. Anything goes. And people don't know what to believe anymore. It's, it's made it very, very difficult. We try to, you know, clarify. We try to show this is, this is the facts. Here's where this tells us this story is going. But people don't believe the facts all the time anymore. There's so much diversion and so much belief of conspiracies and crazy theories that have absolutely no no um, uh, strength of, of foundation, but people believe them. And so until we can somehow get back to the position where we agree upon a group of facts, it's going to be very difficult. I think that fake news is... And, 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 and the audience's willingness to take it as fact is one of the big challenges, not just about broadcast journalism, but to democracy, right? I mean, on set, at some level, we do need to agree on what is true, what, what has happened. Uh, so many things flow from that. We can have honest disagreements and honest debates, but if we can't even agree on what's true, then like, it's like it's not, we're not even having the same conversation, right? Um, so I think that, that, the, that the effects of that are just bottomless. Um, that said, it's funny, if you go back in the archives, um, maybe not necessarily just Vanderbilt's archives, but if you go back and, and look at news reporting uh, at the dawn of like newspapers, it was crap from top to bottom. I mean, they were, they were spewing all kinds of lies. I mean, it was just straight up fake news. So like fake news is not new, you know what I mean? Um, it, it, it's, you could argue that journalism, like yellow journalism, began as a as an exercise in fake news with occasional enterprise reporting shuffled in, and now we have fake news again. And I don't know; it puts a real pressure on us to, you know, I mean, if if the if if the lie can travel, what is it they say? The lie can travel six times around the planet while the truth is still getting on its pants. I don't know what whatever that phrase is. I forget the exact wording. If that's true, it really does put a lot of pressure on like the good journalists. One way to detect fake news in broadcast journalism is to look for the contents of a good story. Journalists are trained professionals who have college degrees in journalism, communication, and or film studies, and take classes on what it means to create the right story. That not only creatively informs the general public, but also helps enact free-range conversation among the different views that come across the story. Uh, you know, I was I always look at a story that maybe there's a surprise in there somewhere, and I always want to make sure that the, the beginning of the story, the middle of the story, and the end of the story are all as important. You don't give it all away at the beginning. But, it, you know, it's something to me that moves somebody, maybe something that teaches somebody something, or information that maybe they didn't know about, but it, it has to have an impact. The perfect story has to have an impact somehow. You can go cover a story about a fire, but if you don't give it impact, if you don't tell the, the viewer why this is important, maybe it was done by an arsonist, maybe there's a gas leak, then it doesn't have impact. So I think that the real important part about any story is how it impacts the viewer. Let me just answer it personally. Uh, when I hear news, I do listen for a particular attitude and tone. I'm like, are they giving me both sides, right? Um, like, are they telling me what happened and then giving me sort of a, a diversity of viewpoints? Are they trying to get me emotionally ginned up, 
right? If they are, I'm skeptical, right? I don't, I know that there's a movement in newsrooms right now to be, to have news reporters be a lot more real and a lot more human in how they interact with information. But I still want those reporters, when they talk to me, the audience, to do it in a way that's measured and tempered, right? So I look for like that measured sound where they're not yelling, oh my God, oh my God. You know, if they're like yelling with lots of exclamation marks, I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure I trust this. Uh, even if the information is good, something about the tone that I'm looking for, uh, I look for reputation, frankly. I think it's really important to, as a, as a news consumer, to know the reputations of your news sources, you know? Um, whether that's the New York Times or whether it's Breitbart or what, whatever it is, you're, you need to like have, have those journey. Uh, how do, how do, how do their colleagues feel about that? It's very easy to find out. So um, I think a lot about that. I mean, it does actually put a lot of onus on the consumer about like being real critical of what you are consuming and not just, not just consuming it because it's a truth that you happen to agree with. And in Couch's defense, sometimes turning away from national news programs and tuning into more local productions can be beneficial to gaining information because national broadcast news and local broadcast news have become so divided that there are two different genres. I think that local news is critically important because the one thing that I can do far better than they can do in Washington or New York City or Atlanta or Los Angeles is cover the news in Nashville and Middle Tennessee, you know, maybe the 40 counties that we cover. They're not going to give you, uh, you know, the coverage of what's going on here. And if they blow in to uh, cover some large event like the 2010 flood or a tornado or something, they're just coming in for a day and half the video that they share with the world will have come from my television station or one of the other local affiliates. So the difference between the local news and the national news is night and day. I'm not trying to be uh, an expert on Congress. I'm not trying to cover the White House on a daily basis for you. Not that I'm not capable, but that's not my mission. Um, we've, we have people in my company that uh, live in Washington and Baltimore and do just that. And uh, they, you know, follow Congress and things of that nature. We are covering the state legislature, the governor of Tennessee, in a way that they're never going to do on the national level. And uh, all journalism, they say, is local. And the people here are most impacted by what the city council does and uh, the state uh, legislature and things of that nature. Um, not that we're not affected by things that happen in Congress. I'm not suggesting that, but um, where the rubber meets the road and where people can really have uh, their lives impacted by government is uh, on the local level. And that's what we cover. Stories important to the people right here. I'm not trying to be um, a newscaster in Chattanooga. We own a television station there. If something's big, we'll get uh, some information and video from them and share it. But I'm not trying to cover news in Chattanooga. I'm trying to cover uh, news here in Middle Tennessee, and that's what the national guys are never going to do for you. So I'm hoping that there will always be a place for local news. Vanderbilt's television news archive team takes pride in its purpose of providing researchable content for effective research and says that their sole mission is to inform the Vanderbilt community about events that have shepherded our country into what it currently is today further helping society by providing accessible information to those that are most likely to change the society, Vanderbilt students. The Vanderbilt way is to, is to question and to try to discover 
uh, connections and just and realize more about our world and make it make it a better place. And I think that for for decades, television was an influential part of American society. And so Vanderbilt wanted Vanderbilt researchers, Vanderbilt students and faculty wanted to know um, and be able to study that impact and, and to get a better understanding of our world and to see how how it works and what what kind of impacts there are on things on society. But how will the archive reshape the landscape of television media for those that come across it? You can go to other places. You can go to uh, you know an archive of a of a specific network. But our um, advantage is that you can search across multiple networks and see those themes of of history in uh, on from multiple perspectives. And going forward, we want to try to expand because that's one great thing about the new media and you know social media and just uh, podcasts and other types. There, people aren't getting their news just from these major networks as well. There's uh, they're getting their news from a lot of information and. There's a lot of new news sources. There's, it's a lot easier these days to create a news source. And so we're, we're looking at that and seeing how we can become a more uh, inclusive collection that includes a lot of different voices that are out there today. <sighs> Finally, I'm back in the year 1968. You know, it feels great knowing that the recording of all the historic events happening in America will now be used by the Vanderbilt Television News Archive to educate those future kiddos on the struggles that Americans have to go through daily in order to be change makers. Oh, wow. Did I really spend all of my study time learning about the television news archive? I'm going to fail all of my final exams, but you know, it's okay. I guess I'll head back and get some sleep. As you know, they say the studying will do itself. From Gene Alexander Library, Jalen Sims, VU History. Hi there. To view more episodes of VU History and be aware of your current university or alma mater, make sure to tune into Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Amazon Music, or iHeartRadio on a monthly basis. VU History is also available for viewing on the Vanderbilt Hustlers website.